Hello and welcome to another edition of Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and I'm joined in the studio today by... Greg. Greg, we're so happy to have you here for this fabulous opera. Tell us what we're listening to. This sounds strangely familiar. Because it is. It's the overture to Carmen. Carmen is our opera today, Georges Bizet's beloved opera, one of worldwide, depending on how you rank it, second, third, or fourth most popular, most commonly performed operas in the world. Why is that? Because it's fabulous. (laughs) It has everything someone wants in an opera. So as the curtain opens, what are we looking at? We're looking at a town square in hot, sunny Spain. And in this town square, we have the townspeople milling about. We have children playing. There's a factory in the background, a cigarette factory. And there are some soldiers milling about. All right. All right. Well, would you like me to give you a little background of performance history? Yes, please. Well, I did mention already our composer is Georges Bizet. Some of you may remember him. This is his most popular opera, but previously on Opera for Everyone, we have done Pearl Fishers, another opera, his earliest popular opera, I believe, still in repertoire. Um, In fact, the only other one I know of is La Jolie Fille de Perth, and I don't think that gets performed a whole lot. This first made its debut in Paris at the Opera Comique. It was a commission. It made its premiere in 1875. And not quite at the period of Verismo opera, but this is a sure sign of things to come in terms of Verismo, in terms of the gritty, tough realities of life being portrayed on stage. So much so that it was shocking and booed and scandalous but kind of scandalous in a good way. So it wasn't initially a success, and it was very disappointing. But it it wasn't one of those operas that instantly closed. It did play for, I think, 45 or so performances. So it, it did okay. And composers, interestingly, right away recognized the worth. Even Wagner, who grumbled about so many composers of opera, truly appreciated this opera. He thought Bizet really had some some things he was trying to say and did it well with, with his presentation. Thank you. A pleasure. Who wrote the libretto? Well, it was two gentlemen who wrote the libretto, and I should mention that it's based on a, a novel, a novella, by Prosper Merimee, and titled Carmen. And interesting, I thought this was fascinating. It was published in the same publication that liked to look at the sort of exotic different sorts of people, same publication that published Scène de la Vie Bohème by Henri Merger. That's the basis of one of the other most popular operas in the repertoire, La Bohème by Puccini. So back to your question about the libretto, that's Henri Meillac and Ludovic Alive. Thank you. I'm learning a lot today. That's what opera for everyone is all about. <laughs> but you're here to teach us too. So at the beginning of an opera, they have some work to do. They have to introduce the characters mm. and they have to introduce the world in which those characters live. Yes. Both the time and place, but also the deeper characteristics of their world. This begins with an introduction of a character, Michaela. 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 And it's that umlaut will get you every time. And she is an angel, isn't she? Oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. She, I do notice that every production I've ever seen, she dresses in the blue like like Mary, like the Madonna, and no one else does. 
She is certainly from a different world than everyone else you see on stage throughout the entire opera. The name means uh, with God or like God or from God. Mikael means that? Yes. Ooh. And the job of angels in our world is to act as messengers and a witness. And those are the two roles that she plays in the Indeed, opera. Indeed, she does. Hmm. Hmm. And because my, my first encounter with this, I was thinking of her as the representation of the purity of the countryside versus, versus the more corrupt, loosely moral city folk. I think it's more heaven and earth in contrast than in the country city. Fascinating. Because the, the, the gypsies are the people of the countryside. and Except they're living in the city in this case. Well, they have mountain outposts, oh, right. so they're living in, they're living in, they move around. Well, the Roma, that's the, yeah, that's who the gypsies are, the, the travelers. So what would happen in the real world if an angel came to Earth? Oh, probably would go unrecognized. No, she'd probably, I think an angel would be recognized, and I think a, a female angel would probably be harassed by guys, which is exactly what happens when Michaela descends into this village, isn't it? All right, I'm not saying she's not recognized as a woman, but she gets harassed as a woman, not as an angel. But she is an angel, and so, you know, she's right. pretty and she sings sweetly and they they harass her, which injects a bit of, of menace into this. Uh, yes, it the, does. The soldiers uh, are the law, and she yeah, has no recourse, and they proposition her. They're just having her. sport with her, is They proposition my... her within you know, measures of, of her starting to sing. Yes. And she's looking for Don Jose, who is her true love, her childhood sweetheart, high school sweetheart. <laughs> From the same village. Let's listen to Michaela. <laughs> Don José, nous le connaissons tous. Il n'est pas brigadier dans notre compagnie. Non, ma charmante, non, ma charmante. Il n'est pas là, mais tout à l'heure il y sera. Oui, tout à l'heure il y sera. Quand la garde montante remplacera la garde descendante. Mais en attendant qu'il vienne, voulez-vous la belle enfant? Voulez-vous prendre la peine d'entrer? Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, we're listening to Carmen here on 89.1 KHOL. And that was Michaela, who has been sort of harassed by the men in the army who she thinks ought to be kind to her as she helps to find her hometown honey. But she's run off because they were a little unpleasant. Assertive. They were definitely assertive. What's happening now? May I make a big picture comment? Always. All right. My answer to the question of why this is such a loved opera is the undercurrent of sexuality and the continuous contrast between different concepts. So these he manly soldiers have just been featured. Now we immediately go to this chorus of tiny children. Yeah, we can hear them a bit in the You can hear the tiny children there. underneath. Yeah. And it's more than a contrast. It's amplification because the children's game is they are playing at being soldiers. Oh, yes. They're marching in rank and file with pretend weapons. This says, this reinforces, in contrast to what we've just seen, but it's also very deep reinforcement of the militarization of the society in which we find ourselves. And it's the contrast of innocence and worldliness of the soldiers and Michaela, whose name I'm just going to agree to pronounce wrong all the way through, and now back to these sweet voices and sweet song of the of the tiny children. Right. And wow. so after the innocence of children, where would we go next if we're going to keep swinging it back and forth? Well, I've recently seen the opera, so I think I know the answer. We go to the sultry factory women. Yeah. The gypsies, who... Not only are women working in a factory, they're making a slightly illicit product for the cigarette makers. Well, it wasn't illicit at the time. No, it wasn't illicit at the time, but it still was a little bit shocking for women to be smoking in public. And the shock of the scene serves another purpose, which is that we are about to be introduced to Carmen, who is one of opera's great characters. Yes. Opera is very deliberate about the introduction of its great characters. We had the intimation of sexuality with Michaela and the soldiers. We had the uh, deeper intimation of sexuality with the entrance, the movements, the uh, attitudes, you know, of these women from the factory. And uh, it's an interesting fact. It's in things like Raymond Chandler novels, before he introduces the femme fatale, he will introduce other women or other situations mm. just essentially to get your mind in a period of sort of receptivity to uh, what comes next. Well, that and definitely happens here because they're all hot and sweaty yeah, and so you, they're, they're yeah, down to their corsets. Right, so you have all these very hot, sweaty women, languorous on stage, smoking, and they're not alone. They're right. under the gaze right. of these men. Who are singing uh, about... And the men are watching the women, and the women are watching the men watch them. Yes. And that's the setup under which Carmen enters. But first, the men say, where is Carmencita? Yes. So she is the alpha female. She is the apex of desirability. Yes. And she, in this study of contrast, is going to be you know, the opposite of... Michaela, who is is being presented as an angel. So throughout the opera, we will hear Carmen described as a demon, a devil, and a witch, and a temptress. 
Right. That will actually be said, as opposed to, I don't think Michaela is ever technically referred to as an angel, though Carmen is called the devil. Yes. It's time to meet some more characters. Oh, good. We're going to meet Don Jose. Don Jose. Yes. I'm going to um, smash and anglicize all the names. Okay. (laughs) You know, that's just fine. It's opera for everyone. Well, we're talking about the names, though. It is interesting how much fun uh, the guys who wrote the libretto had with the names in this. Oh, go on. Uh, While um, Michaela is is from God in the Mm -hmm. meaning of her name, the other ones have these fabulous names. Morales, is that how you say it? His name means son of someone who lived near a mulberry bush. Okay, you're just doing entirely too much research. <laughs> no, I, I, we all have we all have friends whose name is Rollis, and at some point, you know, over beers, we've said, "What does your name mean?" And and that particular name, you know, Mora is Mulberry Bush. That's been a son of someone who's lived near a Mulberry Bush. He is the hmm. junior of the officers that who will be propelling the plot along. The senior of the officers who will be propelling the plot along. Zuniga. Zuniga. And Zuniga means cultivated field. So you have... Wow. It's, you know, it's interesting to keep in mind that when the soldiers are talking yeah. to Michaela, that it's it's mulberry bush and cultivated field speaking to from God. Well, there's a study in contrasts right there. <laughs> I, I have to say, I love the name of... One of the names of her gal pals. Fresquita. Yes. I don't know if you've looked that one up, but it's no, just fun to say. But we should invite her to our next party. Yeah, and yeah. Mercedes. She could be a Rhine Maiden, but that's for another opera that's discussion. That's a totally different opera, and they, uh, well, they, I think they would be fun at parties if mm-hmm. you know, as long as the cards were good, because they are really good at fortune telling with cards. But that's in another act. <laughs> so, did you say we were going to get to meet Don Jose? The audience of the opera gets to meet him, but he only speaks words at this point. He doesn't sing a song. So I think we, as the Opera for Everyone commentators... The audio version. The audio version. We'll meet him in a moment when he sings. Okay. But he's on stage. And now, let's listen to some of the beautiful singing as the cigarette workers finish their shift.
Welcome back to the opera Carmen on Opera for Everyone. And I heard them saying Carmencita. So she's on stage. Yes. She hasn't sung yet. She has appeared. She's appeared. And they've forgotten all the other women. Mm. Just her. Alpha female. Now she's going to sing. All right. And I, I just have to say, heads up, everyone. This is a very well-known song for good reason. It's fabulous. And can I say something about the song? Always. That's why you're here. (laughs) No need to ask permission. So it's a habanera, right? Yes. (laughs) Hmm. So why is that a funny question and a funny answer? Because it's opera for everyone. And usually we use operatic terms to describe the arias when we do that. Habanera is a dance. All of Carmen's big solo numbers yes. in the opera are known by dance terms, and not she, by singing terms. Well, she's a physical woman. Yes. She talks through her body as well as singing. And so Don Jose is going to be torn between earthly delights and heavenly delights. And he's going to be torn between the familiar, Michaela, the girl from his village. And the exotic. And the other. Yeah. I don't know that we, we are supposed to know or need to know much about gypsies other than their role in the popular imagination as representing the exotic, sensual other. Yes, I think that's exactly how they're used in this story. And that is, that is what is about to happen on stage.
introduction to our title character, Carmen. She lets us know right up front, this is who I am. If you love me, that's fine, but you better watch out because my love can change. And right at the end where she was singing so intensely, she's giving fair warning. If you love me, watch out. She's saying that love is a gypsy child. She's the gypsy child. She's love. And love, like fire, can Ooh. both warm and destroy. It can burn. Right. It's a spectacular song, and she dances beautifully to it as well. Sensually, flirtatiously. And who's she dancing for? Her chosen person, her chosen man. And yeah, who's her chosen man? Well, she happens to be fiddling with a flower as she dances. And she takes the flower and she tosses it at the feet, of course, of Don José. Who, interestingly, while the most sensuous dance of all time is being performed in front of him and for him, is working on his rifle. Uh, (laughs) He's trying to be a good boy. (laughs) He's making a chain for the priming pin on his rifle. And I won't say anything other than that Carmen was one of Freud's favorite operas. (laughs) Okay, then. Thank you for shedding that light. All right. So. Is that true? Yes. Carmen says, what are you up to there? And he answers, I'm making a chain to fix my priming pen. One of Freud's favorites, huh? Yes. All right. You know, it's a lot of people's favorites. That doesn't mean anything. He also liked Hamlet. Great. Yeah. There's a moment in tragic opera where the thing has happened that causes everything else to go so horribly wrong. Yes. And it's just happened when she threw the flower. Yeah. That flower. Yeah. That temptation. And he says to no one in particular, although everyone in the audience is, of course, listening as he says it. Yes. He says, what looks, what brazen impudence. That flower had the effect of a bullet striking me. Its scent is strong, and it's a pretty flower. And the woman, if there really are witches, she's certainly one. So he is lost. Yeah, Cupid's arrow right through the heart. Enter Michaela. Ah, one of your contrasts, perhaps? Yes. And she 
is bringing a note from his mother. Oh, just layer on the purity and goodness <laughs> from Mama. And Mother has sent a kiss. Oh, and Michaela has to deliver that kiss, doesn't she? Well, because she is an angel and angels are messengers. Yes. And she kisses him and he immediately breaks out in song and the words that he sings are, I see my mother. So oh. it was, the kiss was... She's a very good messenger. She, the, the message was delivered unopened, yes. Wow. Later in the song, he sends a kiss back to his mother and when he kisses her the second time, again he starts singing, I see my mother. And she sings, he sees his mother again. A lot of interpretation there and how that gets sung. Shall we listen to the duet between them?
kiss delivered and returned. Mm. She goes demurely away so he can read the note she has given him from his mother. Yes, and if you've just tuned in, we should say the, the she is Michaela, the he is Don Jose, and we are in Bizet's opera Carmen. And he reads his letter from his mother. The mother wants him to return to the village and marry Michaela. Yes. The very beautiful Michaela with the beautiful angelic singing voice. Yes. And he is a good boy. He's he a good boy. says, never fear, mother, your son will obey you and do as you say. I love oh. Michaela, and I shall take her for my wife. As for your flowers, filthy witch, and he tears off the flower and throws it on the ground. Oh, dear. So he's going back to the village, and all is well. And the opera's over. No, it's not. <laughs> but then... But then... A disturbance at the factory. Oh. A small riot. Two groups of women come out, shouting for the soldiers' attention. Hmm. Intervention is required. Someone may get killed. Oh, no. Let's listen. Sita was one of the two women at the center of the fight. Of course she was. They had insulted each other. The end had gotten completely out of hand, and the other woman was wounded. Oh, that's not good. Well, the male voice we heard right at the very end there, that's Zuniga, right? Yes. Charged with keeping order. And so, what would be expected to happen now? Tell them all to shape up and get back to work. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I would do, but... That's what a soldier would do. He right. has no interest in taking a prisoner, starting a trial, uh, seeing justice done. He's there to preserve the peace. He's broken up the fight. All he has to do is send them back. And he says to Carmen, what have you to say? And her line is, officer, I'm so sorry I was speeding. I... <laughs> These are new tires, and <laughs> I 
upright, and she would get off without a warning, uh, the bat of the eyelash. Instead, she sings, Tra-la-la-la-la, cut me, burn me, I shall tell you nothing. Tra-la-la, I defy everything, fire, the sword, and heaven itself. That girl is trouble. And, you know, he, <laughs> he shakes his head. It's just not easy being in charge of a garrison. And he says, spare us your songs. And since you've been told to answer, answer. All he wants is a little bit of respect. And then she's free. Tra-la-la-la. And she says, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la. I'm keeping my secret, keeping it well. Tra-la-la-la-la. I love another and will die saying I love him. While she's looking over at... Don Jose. Don Jose. Recipient of the flower. Um, and Zuniga is a busy guy. Right. So that's it. Carmen has been given an easy out, and she won't take it. No. I wonder if that's going to be echoed later in the opera. I'm thinking yes. <laughs> and so Zuniga just says, since you adopt that attitude, you'll sing your song to the prison walls. He shows a certain amount of self-knowledge here that she's not going to prison for right. having started a fight, having started a riot, having injured someone. She is going to prison for her attitude. We're being cheeky, yes. And so he goes off to drop the warrant and he leaves her in the care of Don Jose, who is instructed to tie her up and wait for Zuniga's return. Carmen in Bizet's famous opera, and she's just taunting with her tralas, tralas. I think this is a key song to the understanding of the opera. Not that the opera has a single meaning. It's arguable what is going on here. This sequence begins with her taunting the officer to the point where, in front of his men, with his patients, with her intransience, his only real alternative right. is to have her hauled away to prison, mm -hmm. to put her in the care of uh, Don Jose, to write the warrant, and to have Don Jose take her off to prison. While he's writing the warrant, of course, she takes the opportunity to seduce Don Jose. She works him. To get him to agree that he will effectively stage her escape, take the blame for it. So he's flipped back from promising eternal love to Michaela to the part where he says like a bullet shot through my heart well he begins as this character would by simply saying no nothing I obey my superiors of course he does there's probably no character in opera who uses the word obey more times than Don Jose throughout the course of this opera oh, yes. but she offers him 
what are we to say on pleasures air? of the she, flesh she offers him certain pleasures <laughs> and she's so intriguing they both know that if he does this he will be imprisoned that he will be trading her jail time for his yes and that once he is out of prison they have an agreement to meet at the taverna of one of her friends well he's taking a deep slide down deliver huh? on her side of the bargain so she this song pivots the mm. beginning of the song she's getting herself in trouble yes the end of the song she's getting herself out of trouble she's giving herself in trouble with the authorities she's getting herself out of trouble with a man and one has to wonder why she's doing this she could simply have said to the officer i'm so sorry it won't happen again she seems to she's, enjoy her she's power. She's orchestrated this, this situation. One alternative is that she is simply solving problems as she goes along. And creating them as well. <laughs> and I think that what Bizet or the, the writers of libretto are using Gypsy to mean, other yeah. than the exotic sensual other, is a certain amount of just practicality and problem solving. Mm. Whatever deceit or improvisation is required for that. Yes. So so on one hand she's maybe she's just solving a problem as she goes along and she's not paying a lot of attention to the problem she creates and so she periodically creates one that she has to get out of. Another way to think about this sequence mm-hmm. and to think about the opera is that the entire opera is about her trying to destroy him. Yes. She is associated explicitly with devilry in many places with, you know, with witchcraft. Maybe she's the devil or an agent of the devil, demon she's called at least once, and her intent is to destroy him, to take his soul. And by causing this character who is a characterization of the concept of, of obedience to disobey his mother, his betrothed, his superior officer, She's sending him down the path of damnation. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, just maybe, in this society, Mm -hmm. it's very important to make the statement that a woman who is free with her love and freely makes her own choices must be the devil and must be punished in the end. And the third way to think about this Mm -hmm. is that she's destroying herself. She's seen her fate. Mm. This opera is full of soft and hard prophecies. She can read cards, and every time she reads the cards, it comes up the same. Yes. That she and her lover will die, and perhaps she's simply hastening that. So, as we hear this song by the various singers, you know, what is the meaning of this? Is she being expedient? Is she being satanic? Or is she being suicidal? Do you lean one direction or the other? I think it's all three. Of course. Oh, <laughs> 
suis comme un enivre si je cède, si je me livre. Ta promesse. Of course he does. She shoves him. He appears to fall to the ground. She runs into the crowd of friends. She's gone, singing, Love is a gypsy child. He has never heard of law. If you don't love me, I love you. If I love you, look out for yourself. That's from her introductory song. Yes, she's nothing if not consistent throughout. You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson. Today's opera is Carmen by Bizet. We have concluded Act 1 and we are ready for Act 2. Several months have passed. But Bizet has finished his procedure. Tonight is the night of emancipation. <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> Carmen sings.
That was the Gypsy Song from Carmen, sung by Carmen. Copper and silver rings glittered on dusky skins. Orange and red striped dresses floated in the wind. Dance and song became one, at first timid and hesitant, then livelier and faster. It grew and grew. Tra-la-la. The gypsy boys stormed away on their instruments with all their might, and this deafening uproar bewitched the Zingaras. Beneath the rhythm of the song, passionate, wild, fired with excitement, they let themselves be carried away, intoxicated by the whirlwind. Tra-la-la. Yes, and unlike Don Jose, there is no chain to fix our priming pin in place. My. And while she's singing the song, the lieutenant is looking on with some interest. Probably every man in the room is looking on with some interest. Yes, I think that's probably correct. And she designs it that way. Yes. Mm. We talked before about how much fun the writers had with the naming. Carmen, these are all from Latin words, and Carmen comes from the word that is now charming. Ah, that's fabulous. And charming, of course, has yes, charms. several connotations, right? Yes, yes, it's not both, just delightful. Both gracious and bewitching. Yes. Fresquita. Who's singing here too? Some. That name means free one. Ah, Mercedes. Mercedes is the most interesting one because more recently that is associated with our word mercy, but going back in time, and the reason why it's the name of the fancy car is it also means wages or reward. Oh, they and did I think have fun with this, didn't the na- they? Her name is supposed to evoke the concept of reward. Reward, free one, and charming one. Oh. And while we're talking about names, we're about to meet Escamillo, the Toreador. Escamillo. I'm anglicizing and smooshing all the words. <laughs> this is what happens when you invite a cowboy to your opera show. Well, yeah. you know, you get what you... So, that, of course, is not his name. That's his stage name. Because he's a rock star. He is a superstar. And so, when the rock star comes on, he will have a stage name. And the stage name is simply the town that he's from. Like calling somebody Houston. Well, let's listen to a little bit more to take us out on our first hour, and we'll return and look forward to meeting Escamillo. Et toi, Carmen, tu ne viens pas. Écoute, le mot dit tout bas, tu m'en veux. Vous en vouloir, pourquoi Ce soldat l'autre jour, emprisonné pour toi. Qu'a-t-on fait de ce malheureux Maintenant, il est libre. Il est libre oh, non. Une promenade au flambeau, c'est le vainqueur des courses de grenades. 
Rendez-vous avec nous, boire, mon camarade, à vos succès anciens, à vos succès nouveaux. Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. We air Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, where you can find a rich trove of past episodes. I'm your host today, Pat Wright, joined by special guest co-host Greg. Stay with us. The second half of today's show is coming right up. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. We're listening to Georges Bizet's Carmen. And I am your host, Pat Wright, joined in the studio today by... Greg. Greg, welcome. At this point, I should mention the version that we are listening to. This rendition of Carmen features the Orchestra Nationale de la Radio Diffusion Française. It's directed by Sir Thomas Beecham, and Carmen is played by Victoria de Los Angeles. Don Jose is Nikolai Geda, and Michaela is Janine Michele. Escamillo is Ernest Blanc. All right, Greg, top of the hour. That means you have to take the opera helmet quiz. It does work out that way when you're here, doesn't it? Yes. Well, and so bring us up to date on what's happened to the halfway point. All right, we are in Seville, Spain, in the first half of the 19th century. It's hot, and we're in a town square. Sultry. Oh, that's better. Sultry. We start out in the town square. We see the townspeople, the children, the soldiers, and before long... The square being a symbol for the love quadrangle that's going on. I love your assistance. Thank you so much. They are soon joined by the women who are working in this cigarette factory. And I have an intriguing and never before broadcast theory on that, which I'll go into later. We're on the edge of our seats. But all attention turns to the fabulous Carmen when she emerges from the factory. 
And she's not shy at all. She announces herself with a song. Not shy at all. She announces herself with a song where she explains she gives her love freely, but it doesn't necessarily stick. And if you fall in love with her, just watch out. Tosses a rose, lands at the feet of poor country boy Don Jose of the army. I mean, average Joe. Don Jose, who has just been visited by Micaela from the countryside, an actual angel. And she delivers the message that his mother loves him and wants him to marry Micaela. He has every intention of being a good soldier, obedient, and a good boy, and marrying her as instructed by his mother. But Carmen has other ideas. And that flower that she throws at his feet pierces his heart and essentially bewitches him. He can't get over the appeal of this amazing woman that all eyes turn to. Before long, when the women are back in the factory, they burst out again, but this time it's not a break. There's been a fight and Carmen's at fault. The captain of the guard entrusts Don Jose with watching Carmen while he writes out her warrant. She didn't need to have the warrant, but she taunted him into it. She wouldn't accept his authority. So once she's in custody, she works on Don Jose, knowing that she's pierced his heart. And he agrees, against his better judgment, he agrees to let her escape, basically to be a bad soldier, so that she can escape, knowing that he will suffer punishment for it. But promising that she will make it worth his while. Yes. And so now, as the second act opens, it's that night. He's been released from prison. He's scurrying toward her. She is singing in the tavern, captivating all, including the officer who had sent Don Jose to prison. And then they hear in the distance the approach of a great bullfighter. Superstar Escamillo enters. And so we have the alpha female and the alpha male. And her song and dance is the epitome of wild femininity. His is the epitome of strong machismo. It's fascinating how much Bizet gives us in this act. Just a list of what happens, I think would explain in part why this opera is such a crowd pleaser. Now let's go to that amazing song where Escamillo is introduced. Oh, <laughs> 
Torreador, Torreador, es un jabia mi sonjo combato, con el guardar de calamurtado, Torreador, clamor, clamor, I can see why they like the Toreador. Everyone in the room is now in love with him. Yes, everyone. everyone. Men, women, dogs, cats. <laughs> yes. They're all in love with him, mm-hmm. yes. He capitalizes on the way he's captivated everyone by bantering with her. With Carmen. Carmen. Mm. A word, pretty one. What do they call you? In my worst danger, I want to utter your name. 
She says, Carmen, Carmencita, it comes to the same thing. Uh-huh. He responds, if someone told you he loved you, Carmen responds, I should reply that I don't need loving. Mm. He says, that's not a friendly answer. I'll content myself with hoping and waiting. She says, to wait is permitted, to hope is sweet. No promises, huh? <laughs> I love how quickly they dispense with the conditional love song that one might have written in here. Yes. If someone told you he loved you, I should reply I don't need loving. Done with that. Right. I love how they both assume that love is in the anticipation, not necessarily in the realization. Yes. Something that we'll see in the camp shortly. And I also love how, as the two alphas in the opera, they don't have to sweat the logistics of their next meeting. They can simply assume that, as in the real world, the alphas will eventually find time together. And so they do, but not yet. Not yet, because the smugglers enter after both Escamillo and Zuniga have left. They never say what they're smuggling. Contraband. <laughs> That's what they call it. You think it. they're smuggling contraband? <laughs> I think they're smuggling tobacco. And here oh. is my theory. Why, in the first act, did the women coming off shift comport themselves so alluringly in front of the soldiers? To distract them. My theory is that out the back door huh. of the tobacco plant... Tobacco and cigarettes were being packed away by the smugglers. And every couple of months, they have enough to make the dangerous journey over the mountain pass. Makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And it gives an extra dimensionality to what the song that's coming up is about, which is that if you want to engage in thievery, having some pretty girls in team can be advantageous. Ah, and this is what you meant when you said you were going to come back to the conspiracy. Even though we feel like we're just meeting people in that first act, they're beguiling the soldiers so that they can sneak the tobacco, the cigarettes, out so that they can get it all together before they do their their run with the contraband over the mountain pass that they're going to be talking about soon. Right, and none of this is explicitly in the opera. But in the song the Smugglers are about to sing, they sing, we most humbly and most respectfully acknowledge when it's a question of trickery or deception or thieving, it's always good, I swear, to have women around. And without them, my lovelies, no one ever does any good. Well, I do confess, I've always taken it at face value. It was just as they're doing the actual run over the mountain pass is how it sounds in that moment of the opera but it is a richer meaning if you think it's right from the beginning of getting a hold of the contraband yes Come 
Smugglers ask her, her being Carmen, if she will help them because they need three women for part of the plan. And she says she has to stay because she's in love. And they mock her and she responds that no, she's staying because she's in love. At this point, she does know that Don Jose will be coming to the tavern that night and she intends to keep her end of the bargain. And there we've got all four participants in this love quadrangle that you mentioned earlier. Escamillo, Zuniga, Don Jose, and Juan Carmen. Yes. Let's actually stop for a moment and just ask the question. Is she in love with Don Jose at this or at any point? There's certainly an interpretation that she should be taken at her word, that she spent the last two months pining for him, thinking about what she owes him, that he gave her freedom. Freedom is the thing she values most of all. And the librettists are careful to insert here that both of her girlfriends think that Don Jose is uh, quite attractive. It's also easier to idealize someone when they're not present, when they're just seeming to be a hero suffering for your sake. And working against that is that we have Don Jose in the far distance, in the middle distance, the local authority figure, a much uh, more impressive, strong, one would think attractive man. Deeper voice, too. Much deeper <laughs> voice. And then we have in the foreground the rock star, the, yeah. the great bullfighter, who will soon be battling perhaps to the death with all the romanticism that implies. So in the second interpretation, no, of course she's not in love with him. She is simply going to pretend to be in love with him for purposes of completing her bargain. She is a person of her word. But B, uh, because another plot is coming into mind, which is that he is a soldier, and they can always use another rifleman on these missions, particularly one who has knowledge of the soldiers and their tactics. Yes. And the smugglers are asking her to bring him along. So in the scenes that follow, as he professes his undying love, his willingness to sacrifice all for her, and she's saying repeatedly, no, you don't love me, is she doing that out of manipulation to get him into the mountains as an accomplice? Is she doing that because on some level she does love him? Or is she doing this simply because she is a demon and she knows that that is the way to his damnation and, and her death? Well, I think you could watch multiple Carmens multiple times and mull that question. So let's listen to some of their singing together. The sequence is, first, she seeks to seduce him, then bugle calls roll call. He has to go back to be counted among the troops. She asks him to stay. He points out that that would be disgrace and dishonor. He is ultimately obedient. She claims he doesn't love her or he would stay. (laughs) He goes into this beautiful passage about the extraordinary depth of his love, completely convincing how he thought of her every moment in prison and has looked forward to this night and for their life together with the deepest yearning. She presses her will, he presses his. And we know who's going to win the test of wills between those two. Although it's not in the opera. In the opera, they keep saying goodbye to each other, waiting Mm -hmm. for the other one to crack. And then there's a knock at the door. Oh, I guess that's true, but she's such a strong character. I guess maybe I thought I saw something I didn't see. I think what you're getting at is that there's a real question in the opera as to whether or not he has agency. Mm. I think it would be possible 
to say that he's the protagonist of this opera. At the end, he makes the climactic decision yes. and takes the climactic action from which there is, is no return. Right. I think a fairer interpretation, though, is that he doesn't have agency, that she's the protagonist, and that she, at each point, is redirecting him in his actions, thoughts, and will to the final tragedy. Yes, he is obsessively blinded by love. And in classic storytelling, the character that has that obsessive blindness would be the protagonist. Mm -hmm. But I think he's a minor character in his own story somehow. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) But I think that's, I think that's, that's who he is. Yeah. So there's a knock at the door and guess who comes in? Zuniga. Zuniga. And she warned Zuniga not to come back. Uh, Zuniga, of course, took it at the time, meaning don't even try to come back here and, and kiss me. You'll be sorry if you do. But he had come back. And he came back as the smugglers are, you know, doing what they're, what they're doing in the back room. He came back with Don Jose standing there having just professed undying love. A uh, fight ensues. The smugglers have to break out to break it up. And once they have come out to break it up, Zuniga is in on the game that these are the smugglers, that Don Jose is with them. They tie him into a chair. They taunt him. It is meant to echo how she was tied in the earlier oh, act. Yes. But no one lets him go free. And so he is left there. And so Zuniga is left alone while the smugglers go off. And Don Jose has no choice except right. to go with him into the mountains. That's right. Let's listen to some of that music.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and this is The Great Opera Carmen by Georges Bizet. So the second act has ended with Don Jose going into the mountains with Carmen and the smugglers. He says, I have no alternative. (laughs) That's so true. And she responds, ah, that's not gallantly put, but no matter go. You'll take it to there. When you see how fine is the wandering life, the whole world your domain, your own free will for law, and above all that intoxicating thing, freedom, freedom. Right. Because freedom, she talks about freedom a lot and the need to not be constrained. And we've talked a lot about how this opera is a study in contrast. Yes. We haven't belabored the point in the last couple of scenes, But it's a good reminder that she is an epitome of freedom, and he is the epitome of being bound by rules, conventions, what other people want him to do, what other people tell him to do. Right, his mother, Michaela, the army. So she's promising him something that he's not going to be able to step into. Right. Thus endeth Act Two. This is Opera for Everyone, and you're listening to Carmen by Georges Bizet. We've just started Act 3. At the end of Act 2, do you think she is free and she is in love? She believes she's free, and, well... So, where are we as Act 3 begins? We are in the smuggler's hideaway. The smuggler's hideaway? Mm. Because they have to to get the contraband past the customs officials. 
that's what we've been leading up to. That's why we needed Don Jose pressed into service. That's why we needed Carmen and her gal pals. And how are the lovers doing? Uh, it's not completely... The lovers are not doing great. Carmen says, you would kill me perhaps? Ooh. What a look. You don't answer. What do I care? After all, fate is master. That's pretty bad. That's a, that's a low point in the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Kill me now. Yeah. After only days or, or <laughs> weeks together, her expression is, kill me now. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty bad. Which is interesting from a couple of points when she says, fate is master. There's a lot in this opera about who has agency and who doesn't. Yes. And how it's used and how fate is intertwined, all of which will be driven home as we go further into this act. Right. Fate. And let's do that. Let's read the cards. We're in the gypsy encampment, and the women are reading cards. One reads that she will find extraordinary wealth through the death of her lover. Ooh. One reads that she will find extraordinary passion through hers. Better. But when Carmen reads the cards, she learns that she will die. Oh, well, fate. Can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. it. It even informs the song titles. This song is called Cut and Shuffle. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone. That was the Gypsy Women reading the cards. And I confess, I had the song queued up and ready to go. I let it pass when you said cut and shuffle is in for... I, what? One of the image systems in this opera is of knives and of cutting. Oh, Even the no. cards are cut. Well... And at the end, of course, the bowl is going to be cut. Oh, dear. So, yeah. Listen to listen for all the references throughout cutting, knives, stabbing. Another interesting image system that runs through this is the one of prophecy. We've talked briefly about that. But by this point in the opera, Carmen has said so many things yes. that are so eerily prescient that you have to conclude she has seen the opera. <laughs> or she's very good at reading the cards. I think she's seen the opera. Okay. I think she's seen it many times. As we all and I have, think if we're lucky. Each time she sees it, at the end, she hopes it turns out differently. Oh, like Romeo and Juliet. But it doesn't, mm. which is why she believes in fate. Oh, wait a minute. She believes in fate because she's seen the opera so many times. Explain yourself. <laughs> Please. <laughs> From the beginning lines of this opera, she talks about how her lover is going to kill her and how she's going to die. And... She taunts fate all the way through. Huh. Yeah. I love how this scene turns to it starts on wish fulfillment and then it ends with intimations of death. Wish fulfillment happens when? The one who wants to be wealthy dreams of oh, with the reads women the cards reading the that cards. she's going to have a, a wealthy husband who's gonna die. The one who wants passion reads those in the cards. It's actually kind of humorous i mean when you need to break the tension right the audience the the audience laughs at uh, mercedes fantasy of wealth and that makes the darkness so much darker because we've just been splashed with sunlight or a little release of tension although yours is more poetic so the next thing that happens is the women plan the seduction of the customs official that's why they're there that's why they that's why they were there remember the bar scene that's why they were invited and we think that may be why they sometimes stage distractions in front of the tobacco factory so the tobacco can go out the back door. Yep. We think that might be the contraband. We, yep, we, we're on board with that right now. And the women, the women say that, and if I have to give a smile, I'll give a smile. And the audience wink, sighs. Wink, Yes. The next thing that happens is Escamillo returns. Okay, Escamillo's back with his swagger. And he's probably not welcomed with open arms by everyone. Well, Don Jose tries to shoot him, mm-hmm. and after that, they, they basically break into a bro rules dialogue about whether or not Escamillo can have Carmen. I'm sorry, a bro rules dialogue? Yeah, you know, I saw her first. Yeah, but she's tired of you. Oh, man. Yeah, but I saw her first. No, no, no. Yeah, she's with me. <laughs> she should be with me. You're an impoverished smuggler. I'm a globally famed matador. That kind of thing. Mais je suis un peu mon cher à la folie. 
Celui-là serait un pauvre compagnon qui, pour voir ses amours, ne risquerait sa vie. Celle que vous aimez est ici. Justement, c'est une tingara, mon cher. Elle s'appelle Carmen. Carmen Carmen Oui, mon cher. Elle avait pour amant, elle avait pour amant un soldat qui jadis a déserté pour elle. Car il s'adorait, mais c'est fini, je crois. Les amours de Carmen ne durent pas six mois. Vous l'aimez cependant? Je l'aime. Vous l'aimez cependant? Oui, mon cher, je l'aime, je l'aime. They don't always do this when it's performed, but in the stage directions, they're supposed to have the daggers in one hand, and they're supposed to wrap their cloaks around the other hand. Oh, like a bullfight. It was a way of, it was a way of fighting. It, it, it's reminiscent of a bullfight, and it's where we get the expression, cloak and dagger. You're kidding. No. How? F- opera for everyone. You learn something every episode. So, after Carmen says Escamillo, he departs inviting them all to watch him at his bullfight. Oh, come to my show! And then <laughs> Michaela arrives with her second message. We've seen her briefly in the scene, but this is when she has her singing part. So she's brought another message, and she's found them in their secret hideaway. Right, and she is okay. basically saying, you know, come home to the village with me, repeating the, the message she'd said before. Right. And Carmen is essentially saying, yeah, go with her. And... Oh, but Don, Don Jose, Jose didn't saying, go to prison for nothing. Saying, no, I'm, 
I'm going to stay. You can't, you can't make me leave. Until he learns from Michaela that his mother is dying. And that is reason to go home. And he does go home. That one little shred of decency, decent behavior remains for him. That he has some respect and honor for his mother, even if he seems to have lost all respect for himself. Well, I don't think it is decency. I think it's just obedience to the society, its codes, its mores, what people tell him to do, what he feels he's supposed to do. I think it's just him being a leaf in the wind. You know, this, right. So it, he blows out of camp. Yeah, we're, we're wondering if there's any moment in this opera where he's going to actually show some agency, take a bold stand, do something well, we climactic. Have a, we have another act. <laughs> so speaking of the next act. Is it time for act four? I think it's time for Act 4. All right, Act 4. Opera for Everyone as we enjoy Bizet's Carmen. I am your host, Pat Wright, and I'm joined today by... Greg. And Greg, I have a an important question for you. What's your question? Whenever you're here, you always have a Homeric reference. It's a genre convention of Opera for Everyone. Certainly so when you're here. So we're well into our second hour here. I haven't heard the Homeric reference yet, have I? Well, I was waiting, coincidentally, until this very moment. Oh, Hooray! In the Odyssey, there are moments of repose where a bull is slaughtered and its meat cut and roasted. Uh huh. And wine and some of the cuts, the primest of the cuts, are spilled on the ground in appropriation of the gods. Okay. Each time this occurs in the Odyssey, the language is exactly the same and it draws us back to an older, more primal time of sacrifice and ritual. And myth. When the Toreador sings his song, yes. he's singing about a bullfight. By now, we're supposed to understand that Carmen is both the bull and the bullfighter. Ooh. And in the entire fourth act, as bullfighter, she will kill herself, the bull, in appropriation of the gods. I'm so glad I asked for my Homeric reference. She'll do that by taunting Don Jose, as in the first act, she taunted. Zuniga. So we're now in Seville, 
at the bull ring, and the crowd has gathered for the spectacle. He invited them all. Set piece. This is costume spectacular. Right. Everyone in their finest. And who looks better than everyone else? Escamillo. Escamillo. And a close second is... His lady, Carmen. His lady, Carmen. Yes. She's obviously accepted the invitation, as we say. As we say. And the ceremonial procession sets us up with this incredible crosscut between Escamillo killing the bull and the last fight of Carmen and Don Jose. Oh dear. Well, before it gets all that serious, can we listen to a little bit of the procession when Escamillo shows up? Yes, please.
listening to Carmen on Opera for Everyone, and that was Escamillo singing with Carmen, and they're singing about their excitement about the bullfight. And she concludes by singing, Ah, I love you, Escamillo. I love you, and may I die if I have ever loved anyone as much as you. Yeah, we're getting kind of used to these terrible references, aren't we? I think that explains, that answers the question we asked before about whether she actually loved Don Jose. Oh my goodness. Don Jose comes out of the shadows. He's back to resume the love affair. And Carmen responds by saying things like, No, I'm well aware that the hour has come. I know that you're going to kill me. But whether I live or die, no, no, I shall not give in to you. So she's just jumped right to it. It escalates until she says, All right, stab me then. Oh. And, and where, says, where everyone who's gone to see the bow fight has gone inside. Except Michaela, who's watching. Oh, poor Michaela. And Don Jose says, for the last time, you devil, will you come with me? And she says, no. Calling her a devil. And she throws the ring he gave her on the floor. Oh, no. And he kills her. Ah. So the obedient son commits the greatest disobedience of murder. Right. The woman who only wanted to live free dies, and the angel witnesses. Well, I just got shivers up and down my spine. And the curtain drops. Let's listen to that. Wow. And as we listen to this final music, one of the things that I find most powerful is this juxtaposition of the celebratory, triumphal music going on in the bullring that's just out of our sight, and then this life-death drama that's going on between Don Jose and Carmen. Just like the christening in the Godfather movie. I gotta get around to seeing that at some point, don't I? Yeah. Let's listen. Okay.
for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I've been your host, Pat Wright, joined today by special guest host, Greg. If you've enjoyed our show and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and tune in again next week, 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time, 89.1 KHOL, Jackson, Wyoming. Opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. Our mission is to make opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable. Because we believe opera is for everyone.